live from Southern California. Jungle. This is the Jim Rome Show. So let's get right to it. The Dolphins played their third straight primetime game, and they got hammered for a third straight time. The Cavs and the Knicks got together. They played one of the greatest November games in NBA history, and we uncovered the exclusive audio from Josh Beckett's body slam of that country musician at open mic night. Wait until you hear that, allegedly. Three good guests as well. L.A. Rams wide receiver Robert Woods coming off a monster week. The driver of the number two car, Brad Keselowski, and Heisman Trophy candidate and Stanford running back Bryce Love. Alvy, we have got some serious work to do. Roll it. Let's start with Monday Night Football. Because if there was one sure thing, and this year in the NFL there is no sure things, but if there is one sure thing going into Monday Night Football, it was that Miami was going to lose. Third straight week. A primetime football, third straight week of getting wrecked. 40 nothing to Baltimore on Thursday night, followed by 27-24 to Oakland on Sunday night, and sure enough, last night, 45-21 on Monday. The triple crown of boring, uninspired football. You can't show up like that when they put you in primetime. See, and that's the thing. It's not that they aren't good. It's that they're boring. And that's worse than being bad, especially when the entire country has to suffer through it three straight weeks. If you want to be a bad team, that's fine. You go ahead and do that on your time, on a regionally broadcast game. But don't come out on national TV and put the entire country to sleep, especially not three weeks in a row. But that's exactly what Miami's done. And the lamest thing ever would it be come, to come in here Crack open a mic and lay it all on Jay Cutler. That's a paint-by-numbers show. You can do that in your sleep. And guys have done it all morning long. Ah, Jay Cutler, he's so disinterested. Hilarious. Except it sure looks like Cutler is not the only guy disinterested. The whole Dolphins defense didn't seem interested in making a tackle or knocking down a pass or forcing a punt. Or really, being on the field at all. It almost made me wish... And long for the days when Kiko Alonso was decapitating Joe Flacco. And Indomitian Sue was trying to strangle Ryan Mallett. At least that was something. At least that was interesting. Hell, compared to this, that was fun. Last night was just a flat line. Now that's not to say that Cutler was great because he wasn't. Especially when the Dolphins defense actually did make a play and forced a punt with 54 seconds left in the first half. Miami was still in it at that point. Down 10-7. to Maybe they get into the locker room within three, make a few adjustments, and keep it interesting. That would have been nice, right? But that's not what happened, of course. This happened instead. Just don't want to make a mistake knowing that Carolina's going to get the ball coming out of the half. From the Dolphin, 21st and 10, there's a line drive in the near side. It's picked off! It's intercepted on the near side. Keekley got it on a leaping two-handed glove catch. Backpedaling on the near side of the end zone, on the near side of the field. Best part is... Dude saying that the one thing here, you just do not want to make a mistake. Whatever you do, just don't make a mistake here. Just don't want to make a mistake knowing that Carolina is going to get the ball coming out of the half. Right. And seconds later, Cam Newton hits Ed Dixon for a seven-yarder, and it was 17-7, to and that's your ball game right there. Remember, whatever you do, do not make a mistake here. And they did, and that was the ball game. But as bad as that sequence was, and it was bad, Cutler does not get all the blame. After all. He's not the one putting a hand in the dirt on the D-line. Check out these defensive stats from the Finns. 
548 yards allowed. Their top 10 rush defense allowed 294 rushing yards. Carolina scored a TD on every possession in the second half until they decided to kneel down to end the game. And it's not like Carolina was scheming like crazy to get those yards either. They weren't. They were just lining up and running a lot of zone read. You know, the play that everybody else from high school on up runs, and it was working, like when Cam broke off this 69-yard run. In the shotgun formation is quarterback Cam Newton. He gets the snap, and he hands off on a face, and he takes himself over the right tackle, the 15, the 20. Inside the numbers, the 30. A foot race to the 40. Galloping down the middle, the 50. He's at the 40, chasing him to the 30. Down the near side, the 20. And he cuts down to the 18-yard line of Miami. He is too big and too strong to be playing that kind of game. Racing for 69, Cam Newton. Right. He looked like a father playing with a bunch of kids, and then slowing up so they could bring him down. Afterwards, Dolphins defensive end Cameron Wake was not happy with the performance. Quote, this, is, this isn't acceptable. It's unacceptable. End of quote. Neither was safety T.J. McDonald. Quote, that's terrible. You can't play defense like that. That's on us. That's not the type of team we are. End quote. You see, T.J., that's the thing. Because actually, that is the kind of team you are. When you give up 40 or more in two of three games and get outscored 112 to 45 in a three-game stretch, that's pretty much exactly the kind of team you are. But don't tell that to Mike Pouncey. Pouncey said, quote, we're good. You just got to regroup. We still control our own destiny. It's just we've got to win these kinds of football games. It's the second half of the season, and we can't lose these kind of games. We just put ourselves in a deeper hole, but we're going to keep working hard and we're going to get us a win next week. End quote. Hey, respect. Respect for keeping it positive. Respect for the optimism. And you might get a win next week because you're playing Tampa, who's even more of a mess than you are. But let's not confuse that with being good. That is not a good Dolphins team. The good news is, while Miami is not very good, neither is anybody else in the AFC. So you don't have to be good to reach the playoffs, which means that we might even get to see more of this snooze fest on TV in the coming weeks. Just don't get it twisted. Right now, the Dolphins are boring, unwatchable, and not good. Man, look in the mirror. Stop telling me how good you are. We've been watching you. Not only are you not good, you're boring, and you're doing it in prime time. And yes, I will give, and Panther fan, don't get all wrecked. Don't get all hot about it. You'll get your credit. I will give you your credit. That has a lot to do with how well they played last night. But let's make sure we understand this. It has a lot to do with how uninspired and how boring Miami is right now. L.A., 7-2, first in the NFC West, and they've got a key game at Minnesota on Sunday. Rams wide receiver Robert Woods is my guest. Robert, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Dave. It's good to have you on. You're seven and two. You've won four straight. You've won six of seven. You guys aren't just beating teams, Robert. You're blowing them out. How hyped are you to be back home and be a part of this Rams offense? I feel good, you know, uh, just to be a part of this offense. You have all these weapons, scoring a lot of points, a winning game, and uh, what better flexibility in your hometown uh, in LA? You know, having fun at the game, having fun with my teammates. Um, it's just a great atmosphere. Like, 
you know, you've had so many big moments over the past two weeks. It's hard to even know where to start. But let me ask you about that 94-yard TD on Sunday. Can you take us through it? What did you see? And then what did it feel like when you knew you were going to take it the distance? Yeah, just, uh, you know, hearing the play call, um, seeing the coverage play out um, just exactly how you want it. And, you know, pretty much it's all up to you, you know, for you to get open to run this route. Um, you know, if you catch this, it's all on you, you know, set your guy up. And uh felt like I was able to lean him out and flip him high. And just pretty much the cover dictated where the ball was going on that play. And Jared, you know, stepped up in the pocket, threw a beautiful ball on the air. And uh, all I have to do was just, you know, barely reach up and yep. lay right in the, in the bread after for him. Right, the breadbasket's right. Excuse me for jumping in there. I was going to say, and the reason I jump in is it was such a great play, Robert, all the way around in that the Texans' defense bid pretty hard on the play fake to Todd Gurley. But at the same time, what's it say about the confidence of this offense and the coaching staff that you guys are going for a big, explosive play like that from your own six-yard line? Yeah, just seeing how it played out. We're backed up in the red zone, in their red zone, really. Um, I mean, when we take a shot play, we, we pretty much get the coverage and expect to run. We set them up with the play action, and uh, we beat them up on the top. Um, you know, the line that they dropped protected Jared, went untouched. And um, like I said, it was the same play. Everybody did their job and executed, and that play worked out. Just, you know, how we managed to yeah, I appreciate it, Robert. All right, so Sammy Watkins said after Sunday's game, quote, for me, it's Robert Woods who's leading this group. The way he practices, the way he plays the game, the way he does everything moves this wide receiver group. He's a pro. I had to push my game up the way he was competing, and that's what all of us are doing, end quote. So what's it mean to you to hear something like that from one of your teammates, and then how do you go about leading that receiving group? Uh, it's good, you know, uh... Just, just to hear him say, it's kind of like I'm leading by example, you know, leading that group. Um, but uh, it's really, I feel like it's our unit, how we practice, how we work hard um, each and every day out there, how we compete, um, even Tavon included, you know. I feel like all of that is the credit to, to my success because just being able to practice with those guys and compete at practice, I think that's where it starts. Phones, give me a moment so I can talk to you about stamps.com. Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, such as our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So let me ask you, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. As an example, the holidays are coming up. My wife, Janet, is all about the Christmas card. We send out hundreds, literally hundreds of Christmas cards, and there's no way we could do it without Stamps.com. I'm going to print my own postage. I'm going to do it when I want and do it at home. Trust me, with the holidays coming up, you should do the exact same thing, and you'll thank me for it. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle for a special, special offer. A four-week trial, which includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. You want to go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle. Stamps.com, never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't. That's stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle.
you know, when you look at the head coach, Sean McVay, whenever his name comes up, Robert, you hear words like rock star, genius, prodigy. <laughs> How would you describe this guy, and what's it been like playing for him? Uh, genius, um, for sure. Um, very creative. Just, just how he calls plays and creates plays, and um, pretty much, you know, he said with us earlier, you know, this this hurry up tempo thing when started with, you know, ten plays, and now we're just taking off with, with so many in our tempo and everything. But it's just um, him making adjustments, him being a player's coach, seeing what we could do, him pushing us, him practicing with us. Um, I feel like all those things make him a great and fantastic coach. He's very creative, um, and he listens to his players. Rams wide receiver Robert Woods joins me for another moment or so. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just that you're winning games, but you're blowing teams out, and more and more fans are starting to show up at the Coliseum. You're jumping into the stands after a TD. Do you feel like you're starting to get momentum as a team when it comes to building the fan base here in L.A., and how does that feel? That feels pretty good. You know, we, we know it comes with winning. Uh, we know L.A. is a winning town, and uh, we just have to win games. We're going out there and performing at home, trying to, you know, have some big, exciting plays. And um, we did that at home, we were able to jump in the crowd and just get the crowd involved. You know, we love to play at home in L.A. and just to get the costume packed out and rocking each and every week. Look, I know you got you know, plenty. We know it was great. I know you got plenty of work still to do this season. But have you allowed yourself to think about what it might feel like to be in the playoffs and to host a playoff game at the Coliseum? Uh, not yet. You know, we're, we're still we've got some big challenges coming up in, in the upcoming weeks. You know, starting with the Vikings. Um, but uh, we're, we're just looking at one game at a time. We know we're winning games and piling them up. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's still one week at a time. Now, one last thought before you go: You're not only leading the NFC West, but you are back with the best record in the NFL. You and I spoke after you signed with the Rams. We talked about your decision to come here to play with Jared Goff and for Sean McVay. Did you think, and you knew there was upside, but did you think this thing could turn as quickly as it has? Uh, not like this. I think we're, we're really rolling. Um, Jared has been balling, playing really, really well, leading this team. And, um, I mean, you know, we saw the potential, but right now it's happening. It's rocking for us. When the Cavs went to New York, I mean, you look at it, that was everything you could have possibly hoped for from a November game and more. Because LeBron got it started early by saying over the weekend that Dallas Mavericks rookie Dennis Smith Jr. was, quote, a diamond in the rough. And he is that. That's a freaky young player. Great athlete. I mean, he's explosive. Really exciting guy to watch. I could see where he might say that, LeBron. But then LeBron added, quote, he should have been a Nick. Most thought that that was a shot at Knicks rookie Frank Nilakina. One of the people who thought so was Enos Cantor, who retweeted LeBron saying it with the comment, nope, we love what we got. Thanks. So that was round one. And by the time LeBron got to New York, he wanted to set the record straight. That what he said was not about Frankie Smokes. Quote, I wasn't throwing shade at Frank. I wasn't throwing shade at, at Frank at all. Um, for people that got their uh, pants and bunches of things of that nature here in New York. I look for any controversy here. I mean, come on, LeBron, you got to know better. I mean, certainly in New York, they're always looking for some kind of heat. But when you tweet something like that, and LeBron says, for all the people who got their pants in bunches and things of that nature here in New York, and looking for any controversy. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. 
I mean, he started that whole thing, right, with that tweet. But if it wasn't about Frank LeBron, was it a shot at Phil Jackson who drafted him? Oh, yeah, it's definitely a shot at him. That's for sure. No shade at, uh, at Frank. I don't even know the kid. I wasn't even thinking about the kid. Uh, when I was talking about Dennis Smith, I was thinking about the just the Knicks organization and, and Phil Jackson at the time and Dennis Smith's talent and Przingis. I buy that. I'll buy that. When you explain it like that, I'll buy that. Why do I buy that? Because we know he doesn't like Phil Jackson. We know he's got a grudge against Phil Jackson because Phil Jackson was the one who ignorantly had talked about LeBron, quote, and his posse. LeBron hasn't forgotten that, isn't going to forget that. So I'm sure he was taking a shot at Phil Jackson. Oh, and on top of all that, LeBron did have a thought about Cantor as well. thought that is for clarification of, of people who just live in the box. And for Enos Cantor, who always got something to say, he says, I don't know what's wrong with him. Quote, all that is for clarification for people who just live in the box. And no, that is not a green light for you to send me emails and tweets about people who live in boxes. Storage boxes refrigerator boxes, any kind of boxes. Don't do it. All that is for clarification for people who just live in the box and for Enos Cantor, who always has something to say. He says, I don't know what's wrong with him, end quote. Cantor, I'm sure, would tell you there is nothing wrong with him. And there may not be a more loyal dude in the NBA than Cantor. You say anything remotely close to insulting to any one of his guys, and he will go. He was looking for a reason last night, and then he got it with 40.2 seconds left in the first quarter. LeBron finished off that alley-oop, started to head up court, bumped into Frankie Smokes, and then it was on. The Cavaliers reset alley-oop for LeBron. It didn't reset for long as Wade threw it up toward the rim, and LeBron hammered it home. And now LeBron and Neil Aquina... Exchange word. The ball was at the feet of LeBron. Neil Aquino went to pick it up. Bumped into LeBron. And now Cantor and LeBron get into it. Leads over there. Cantor continues to bark at LeBron James. So it was on. And by on, what I mean is a lot of jawing and a couple of guys in Cantor and LeBron who were not going to back down, which was great. For a November NBA game, that's the equivalent of a bench-clearing brawl. That's why that was great. Almost as great as the Knicks then going on a 15-0 run and getting up by 23 on the Cavs. For the first time in a long time, the Garden was alive, man. That joint was rocking. It looked like the Knicks were going to run Cleveland right out of the building. Think about that. Knicks up by 23 on the Cavs at home. What a time to be alive. Until the Cavs flipped the switch and came storming right back and dropped 43 on the Knicks in the fourth quarter with bombs like this from Kyle Korver. LeBron at the right point gives to Korver. He fires a three. He knocks it down. Kyle Korver drains his fifth triple of this fourth quarter. And then this step back from LeBron over Chris Tapps that broke the tie. The crowd rises to its feet. The familiar chant of defense, defense here at Madison Square Garden emanates upon the floor. Six to shoot. LeBron guarded by Porzingis. Long three on the way. He nailed it. Jeff Hornacek takes a timeout. Uh-oh. That made it 197 Cavs. They closed it out 104-101. As impressive a win as they've had this year. 
which tells you they haven't had a lot of impressive wins this year. But not only was it impressive, and it was chippy. It was bitter. It was fun. Normally, taking the subway after shoot-around might seem hokey, but when you chase it with a game like that, I love it. If that's the result that we get, they should do it every single time. And speaking of things that should be done every single time, Cantor and LeBron should be on the court, not just in every Knicks-Cavs game, but they should be on the court in every NBA game, period, because things are just better when they're out there and they're jawing about it and talking about it afterwards. Here's what Cantor had to say about why he was ready to go to battle. I'll tell you one thing. This thing is really special. And you ain't coming to my house playing that water bottle flip game again. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't care who you are, king, what, what do you call yourself, king, queen, princess, whatever you are. You know what? We're going to fight. And, and nobody out there going to punk us. So we just went out there, play our game, and I think we're just going to get better, better, better every day. Nobody is going to punk us. Hey, look, let's be real about the other part of that. Going with queen and princess gloss is not the most original take ever. In fact, it is pretty tired. It is pretty lame. But I love the fact that Canner was so offended by the water bottle toss game. Did you hear him reference that? He was offended by the water bottle toss game that the Cavs played during a Knicks game last year. Why do I love that? Because Canner wasn't even a member of the Knicks when that happened. He was in OKC, and he's still pissed about those events in MSG, which I love. Well, those comments were run right back to LeBron, and then he swatted them right into the stands. Well, I'm the king, my wife is the queen, and my daughter is the princess, so we got all three covered. What happened with you and Ennis and Frank on that play? Nothing. Did you make a dinner reservation? Never. You know. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, we got the win. That's, that's, I'm not by the, I'm not going to get, uh, I'm not going to say that guy's name again. Anyways, next question, please. So LeBron was not going to leave that city without another shot at Phil disguised as a compliment to the Knicks. LeBron said, quote, I think Jeff, the coach. You know, Jeff is, uh, you know, the coach, Jeff Hornacek is finally, you know, with the, uh, <laughs> With the release of the old fella, uh, he's finally allowed to put his implement hit what he wants to do on a team, and it's and it's showing this is very effective. With the release of the old fella, I love that the old fella, the old fella, of course, is Philip. What Philip's thinking? If Philip's just hanging out right now at the beach or in Montana, just doesn't give a damn, or if he's sitting back looking at the whole thing and wanting so badly to respond, and how do you respond? Not with your team on the floor. You can't make a statement like that. Is he going to rush to his phone and thumb something out on Twitter? Or does the old fella know his time has come and gone and he's no longer in the game? The old fella. The old fella. Brad Keselowski is my guest. Brad, it's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. I'm driving through the streets of New York City here and uh, can't think of a better guy to be talking to. Love your show. My man, that's great. I appreciate you saying that, Brad. I did the exact same thing, except I wasn't driving myself, but I was in those same streets this past weekend. How are those streets treating you today? You know, traffic's not bad. It's one of those good days. So uh, we'll take it. We're doing the the media tour to prepare for this weekend's race. And, uh, you know, so much going on and such a great opportunity to to win a championship. And, uh, you know, I've won one before and got a great opportunity to win a second one. So ready to make it happen. Brad Kozlowski joining us. All right, take me back to before the start of Sunday's race. You knew a spot in the championship four was on the line and that guys like Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott could have a good look at it as well. So what were you thinking before that race and what was the plan going in? 
Well, I think the plan for us was uh, we needed to just have a solid day, and we needed one of the best cars uh, out there, the, the 11 cars, Denny Hamlin, to not win the race. And we didn't have the greatest of days possible. In fact, we had pretty much an awful day, but, uh, but we caught a little bit of a break when uh, the 11 car had an, an, an incident, and we were able to, to advance from there. So really a little bit of good fortune. Uh, you know, the way that the NASCAR playoffs work, uh, you have three races to, to put up your best results, and if you win, you're automatically advanced and we weren't able to pull that off in phoenix but we had two great races the weeks before uh in dallas texas and uh in martinsville virginia that gave us a kind of enough equity to to be ahead and and have that opportunity so we felt real fortunate no brad like in any sport there are going to be days when maybe you don't have your very best you've got to find a way to grind through it you have to find a way to win as an example you said after the race that you knew you didn't have the speed that you would have liked on sunday so when you know that how does that impact how you approach it and what do you try to do during the race um it's actually well i think probably the best analogy i can give you is that you know when when you know you're in those situations just try not to beat yourself and if i was to explain that to a football fan as for what it means in race that means when it's fourth and long you punt (laughs) And, you know, you settle in and you try to make smart moves that, that maybe don't win you the game, but they don't lose you either. And they, they keep you in contention for when you do have things clicking. So, uh, you know, that's tough to do sometimes. I mean, everybody likes to uh, throw the Hail Marys. Nobody wants to go down without swinging, but sometimes you have to play smart. And that was a, the key for us this past weekend. And, but now we got to get back on offense. And, and hit it hard for Miami this weekend if we want to win the championship. Brad Keselowski joining us. One more thing about that. You said afterwards that maybe you did catch some breaks to get into the championship for on Sunday, but is there any part of you that feels like that's just the break that we needed? Now we're in a spot where we can capitalize. Like maybe the breaks are a sign that this could be your year. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Jim. You know, I, I always say in racing it takes, you know, three things to win. And really it's not just racing. It's about every sport. Uh, for, for us, it takes talent or, or speed. Uh, it takes uh, great execution on the racetrack, which means, you know, hitting everything, hitting your marks right, the, the pit crew doing their job and assembling the car the proper way. And then there's, you know, let's face it in life, there are breaks that can make or break it. Uh, and for us, you know, you might call that luck. Uh, everybody has a different way of explaining it. And, and when you can get all three of those going uh, in your favor, that's when you're, you're going to be a winner. Um, and when you have any one of those against you, you're not going to win. So, you know, we, we caught a good break last week. We've had weeks where we've had the speed. We've had weeks where we've had the execution. If we can have a week of all three in Miami, we're sure to win. We're talking to Brad Keselowski. Now, the last few years, you've gone to Homestead without a chance at the title. God, how much better does it feel right now to be going back there knowing that everything is on the line? This is what you've worked so hard for. Oh, man, it's incredible. Uh, that's what you live for, you know, in a competitive environment. You never know how many of these opportunities you're going to get. You want to make the most out of each and every one of them. Um, it, it's almost a bit of a tragedy. We haven't made it the last three years because we've gotten all the way to the end and we've blown up apart an engine. We've broke apart uh, things on the car and we've crashed out in the last three years. It just feels like uh, nothing else can go your way. Uh, and finally, we, we caught a little bit of a break uh, this past weekend. And it just feels like, like you said, that if you can catch any little break, it feels like it's your turn, it's your chance. Brad, you're looking ahead, and you never rest on your laurels, but the fact is you do have that championship. You won it back in 2012. When you look back on the feeling of winning that title and that year, what do you remember most? What comes to mind first? <laughs> a lot of beer. <laughs> I drink a lot of beer Good. that night. I like it. My memory is not that great, Jim. Good. But it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I like you it. You know, and, you know, championships are hard to come by. Uh, and so, you know, when you do win them, you got to make sure you have a heck of a party to celebrate. So 
I remember a little bit more about the party than it is. My man, I got a few moments like that, too. And I always look back and I think to myself, man, if I had not gone quite so hard, I might have a better recollection. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Before I let you go, Brad, the other three guys in the championship four are Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Busch. When you think of those three guys, what kind of thoughts do come to mind? Well, you know, Martin, he's actually sitting next to me right now. I'm going to give a good ribbon. But, uh, you know, he hasn't won a championship before, but he's won uh, the majority of the races on the style of track that Miami is. He's going to be tough to beat. Uh, Kevin Harvick, uh, he's won a championship here a few years ago, uh, along with Kyle Busch, and, and they both run very well there. It's a tough crowd. I mean, it's it's the cream of the crop. We're going to have to do everything right. You have to be perfect. This is There's not going to be any gimmies this week in Miami. And, and you know what? That's what we like. When you win, uh, anything you, you win in life, you want to know that you've beaten the best. And if we're able to pull it off this weekend, we should for sure have beaten the best. And that's what I think playoffs should be about. Brad, one last question. Your finalist for the 2017 Comcast Community Champion Award. And when that was tweeted out, Dale Jr. retweeted it with a nice note. You paid tribute to him last month with your paint scheme. What has Dale Jr. meant to you and to that entire sport? Well, quite simply, Jim, without Dale Jr., I don't know where my career would be. He gave me one of my first opportunities in the NASCAR Spinning Series, which is a somewhat of a development series for NASCAR. The, the second tier, you could almost look at it like the college football or college athletics for motorsports. And that opportunity propelled my career to where I'm at now with Team Penske and having an elite ride. Uh, and he took a chance on me when really no one else would. So I don't know where my career would be without Dale Jr. Maybe I would have made it, uh, you know, some other path. Maybe I would. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to find out. And for that, I'm forever in debt. What did that singer do to enrage Beckett the way he did or was? What set him off like that? Dear Jim, please play the exclusive audio that you obtained of Beckett tackling that guy and subsequently breaking his glasses. Sick of tired, you guys. The last Jesus guy that came here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Jesus. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. All right, now let, let's hear this again. I don't know that that's one and the same, Drew. I don't know. I don't know that I obtained any exclusive audio. Now, I've seen the picture. There isn't video, but apparently there is audio floating around. Is this audio of Beckett laying out full, horizontal, and putting that cat to sleep? Sick and tired, you guys. The last Jesus guy that came in here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Jesus. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Alvy, what's that music? Was that the song that the guy was playing? And why was the song still playing after that guy was asleep? Let me hear that one more time. Just... Sick and tired, you guys. The last Jesus guy that came in here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Jesus. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. So in other words, the dudes on the set just kept playing. The band kept playing even though their lead singer was asleep. Now, if I'm to believe that this was the actual audio from that incident, Drew, why would Beckett be so angry? If, if you're telling me that that's Beckett, that's Beckett saying, I'm sick and tired of you guys doing this. Like, in other words, other country music acts have gotten up on that stage and done what country music bands do, play country music. Like, that's not the first time. And he got so sick of it, he just snapped. Is this what you're alleging? Just... Sick and tired, you guys. 
The last guy that came in here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. That doesn't sound like Beckett. The guy who got body slammed and had his glasses broken does not sound like a lead singer for a country music band. And if you listen to the audio, it doesn't sound like he took out the lead singer. It sounds like he took out the entire band. This dude sounds like he took out a whole orchestra. Listen to this. Sick and tired, you guys. The last guy that came in here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. No, Drew, that's not what that is. That is not exclusive audio from that. That's not the Beckett incident. Is that an amazing response from a guy? You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. I don't think the guy who did that needed an explanation of what just happened. He did it. He knows what happened. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. This guy just did play-by-play of getting laid out. You, you, know, you know what just happened? You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Right, now I'm going to step on your head. What a, what a response. He didn't, he didn't fight back. He didn't retaliate. He didn't stick up for himself. He didn't swing on the politician. He just explained what happened, like the good reporter that he is. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Hi, Jim. As an example. Hi, Jim. I was listening to the show. It is good. However, I do believe that you were wrong in saying that that audio is from Josh Beckett's altercation with the country music band. Actually, I believe that audio is from a political candidate in Montana getting in an altercation right before the election. Just thought you should know. Thanks, Ray and Claremont. Thanks, Ray. And I think that you should know that the word should is not spelled S-H-U-L-D. Mix in an O. But thanks for clarifying that for me, Ray. Thanks for straightening me out, Ray. Thanks for having my back, Ray. Here's another one. That wasn't Beckett. That was that Republican candidate fighting a reporter. Get your facts straight. Get it right, Rome. Ted, Ted P. Get your facts straight. Get it right, Rome. Come on, Ted. How embarrassing do you look now? So many of you... Cannot wait for me to be wrong. So many of you cannot wait to shut me up. Right, Ted? Get your facts straight. No way, Ted. Really? Really, Ted? That wasn't Beckett? I didn't obtain... I did not obtain exclusive audio. No way. That was a a video or a piece of audio that went viral that the whole world know about, but not Jim Rome. Not the same Jim Rome that did a whole take on that on this show. Why would I know, Ted? But you got me, Ted. Get it right, Rome. Get your facts straight, Rome. Do your homework, Rome. You owe me an apology, Rome. Wake the hell up, Rome. How's that taste, Rome? Come on, Ted. Really? Really, Ted? You want to catch me in something that's that's factually incorrect? All the power to you. It'll happen at some point. Just not right here. Yes, I know that that's Greg Gianforte. Yes, I know he was campaigning for a House seat in Congress in a special 2017 election. Yes, I know that he body slammed Guardian reporter Ben Jacobs in Bozeman, Montana during an event. Yes, I know there were local TV crews that documented it. Yes, I know that was the audio. Yes, I know, Ted. And the rest of you trying to correct me. Of course. Do I look that stupid? I played it in response to Drew in West L.A. making a joke. God, how do you follow this show? 
You know, once in a while it comes up too. You know, the thing about that show is it's a little inside at times. Maybe. I have done it 30 years. There are lots of jokes that go way back. That was not an inside joke. That was not me trying to con anybody. That was not me trying to get over. That was me responding to an email from one of you. Wow, come on, really? Gotcha, Rome, you big dummy. Nice try, Ted. Nice try, Ted. Hey, Ted, do you really think that for a second that I thought this was Josh Beckett? How about that music? Stop right there. How about the music that we had where I said that was the band playing? That also wasn't a cue to you, Ted, that I was just having a little fun? Come on, Ted. You really think that I would get on nationally syndicated radio with several thousand radio stations and eight billion listeners and try to convince you this was, quote, exclusive audio from the Josh Beckett incident? The last time I came here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Have you seen the uh, picture? I don't think that lead singer wore glasses. I know that guy didn't sound like Beckett. And I know that little banjo riff there is not the sound of live music. I'm telling you, and what does this go back to? What does this all come full circle on? Cough. Cough. Remember, I got it in my head one day. I'm going to say the most absurd thing that I could ever say on the radio, and I know somebody will buy it. Just as an example, kind of like my guest today for my podcast. He wanted to do something to see if he can get away with it. I wanted to come up with the most absurd concept ever, say it on the radio, sell it, and see if anybody would buy it. So I said that I was coming up with a foundation. The Cockfighting Across America Foundation, where I was going to hold cockfights with roosters and razor blades, and I was going to do it in many cities across this country to help keep kids off the street. And that was going to be my foundation, my way of giving back. And I want to see if anybody would buy that. And sure enough, my man Tony in Cleveland, hook, line, and singer, sinker like Ted P. right there. I haven't been listening to you all that long, but uh, I can't believe you're talking about this cockfighting stuff. You know, they, they fight to the death. They don't just fight. Right. And don't you think that's disgusting for kids to see? No, not at all. What's the what's it's a your point? ridiculous, I think. Ridiculous? You're calling totally my ridiculous. you're calling me wanting to give something back to the community ridiculous. That should how, be how is trying to help right. kids ridiculous? Let me ask you that. You shouldn't even be allowed to talk about that. How is kids trying... watching fighting to the death? You're crazy, man. Tony Tony, I'm not crazy by the way. What I'm asking you is how is helping kids ridiculous? If that's ridiculous, then yeah, I'm ridiculous. That's not helping kids. It's hurting them, Rome. And you shouldn't be talking about it on the radio, man. You imagine me setting up a foundation based on cockfighting to raise awareness and to keep kids off the street. I thought that was like the craziest thing ever, but I knew somebody would buy it, and somebody did. How about the time I got on the air and I played that same little game? And I said, quote, every father wants their daughter to get into porn. An absurd statement, right? Sure enough, people come into battle. That's it, Rome. Gotcha. This guy could not believe that I thought that and believed that. Bill, in Syracuse, you are next up. Nice to have you on the program. 
Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm great, Bill. What's up? Uh, Jim, man, you got to be joking, man. About what? The porn industry, man. Are you, are you, are you serious, man? Of course every I'm daughter, serious. Serious to... is a heart attack. What, what's going on, man? What is uh, going on? What do you mean? Why would every father want their daughter in the porn industry, man? Are you, are you, you want your kid in the porn industry? What's going on, man? Why? I think I was like incredulous. Rome, why would every father want their daughter in the porn industry? Right, Bill? They wouldn't. So for all of you that are correcting me and saying, that's not audio from Beckett, Rome. That's not what that's from. That's Greg Gianforte. Right. I know. So if you get up every single morning and you wake up and you think, today's the day I nail that guy. Today's the day I get Rome and I catch him in something that he said that's factually incorrect. That day is coming. That day is coming. I've been wrong many, many times. I've owned it many, many times. You'll get that opportunity again. Just not today, losers. And not with that audio. How do you follow the show? How do you not know that that was a joke? Bryce Love is my guest. Bryce, really good to have you on. How are you? Oh, I am doing great. You know, thank, thank you for having me on the show. It's great to be in the jungle. <laughs> Bryce, it is great to have you in the jungle. Thanks for making time for it. You know, I mentioned that game you had against Washington, 30 carries, 166 yards. But, Bryce, that's against a defense that entered the game allowing the fewest yards and had only given up three rushing touchdowns all season. You had three Friday night. What was the plan going into the game in terms of how you wanted to attack that defense? Yeah, I mean, we knew we had uh, a challenge in front of us. You know, we um, studying the tape. You know, they were they were as advertised. You know, they were physical up front. That front seven was, um, you know, really dominant. You know, fast linebackers that could uh, flow well, smart guys in the secondary that weren't afraid to come down and hit. So we we knew we had a challenge, and um, we we knew we had to go out and play our brand of football. And you know, that's just being physical from start to finish. And um, you know, ultimately, it paid off in the end. Bryce Love joining us. Now, in terms of being physical, I know you'll downplay this, but the fact is you went into the game with an ankle injury that you've dealt with for quite some time. You seemed to aggravate it in the first half, but it did not slow you down. Head coach David Shaw was so impressed that he said afterwards he goes out there from start to finish. He pours his heart out for his teammates. I don't know if you could ask anything more of a football player. I don't know if you could find a better football player in America than Bryce Love. And quote, so how much pride do you take in the fact that you were able to fight through the injury and not just fight through it, but to have a great game? Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely thankful to Coach Shaw for, you know, even even saying that. Uh, you know, in my mind, you know, it's all just for my teammates. You know, I, I knew going in at halftime that, um, you know, my first half, you know, wasn't amazing. You know, I kept going, having to go uh, in and out. But mentally, you know, I, I just knew I had to lock in, you know, for my teammates. And, you know, that's really just, you know, who it's about. You know, I know I'm representing my city back home and thinking of all the things that uh, motivate me. That's one of the big things that we, we talk about throughout the year is why we play the game and why we do this and why we do that. And, you know, I, I really locked on that. And, you know, I was just able to go out there and push through it for the guys around me. Bryce Love joining us. So talk about that. I mean, you've got to have a purpose, right? You've got to connect everything to a great purpose. And this notion of why you play the game, why do you play the game? What is your purpose? Yeah, you know, I, I play it for, you know, my family, um, you know, the, the people back home, you know, that, that have all, uh, you know, poured something into me and, uh, you know, really pushed me to, uh, you know, just play at the level that I am now. You know, um, everybody who really just took time out to motivate me and, you know, 
take take time and really just put things into me all left a really lasting impact with me and you know I, I play and I try to go out and um, you know try to play with that mindset and that physicality to represent them. You know, Bryce, you're, you're a physical player, you're a skilled player, and, of course, you have that great speed that we know. Now, when you mention your family, your father, Chris, was a sprinter, so the natural assumption that people make is the speed comes from him. How yeah. accurate is that, or does moms get some of the credit for the speed as well? <laughs> well, I, to be honest, if, if, I, if I didn't say my mom had at least 50%, <laughs> she'd probably get mad at me. Right. So I'd, I'd definitely say some, some of it came from, from her, too, as well. You know, you end up at Stanford. And that meant that you were going to be behind Christian McCaffrey on the depth chart. A lot of guys with your talent might have been bothered by that, maybe even looked to leave, but you didn't. And instead, you talked about how you tried to learn everything you could from him. What were some of the things that you picked up from watching McCaffrey? I mean, the list, it, 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 it's really just extensive, to be honest with you. I mean, there's just so many different little nuances. Just, I mean, in regards to the game, you know, just from watching him from – uh, attacking a block or talking about a move in film or just think different things like that. But I don't even really analyze it from the perspective of football, just how, how he carried himself. You know, um, it's, it's cliche, but, you know, he was consistently that, that same competitive person in every way, you know, in the weight room, in the classroom. Um, you know, he, he was always driven to be great. And, you know, it, it's big, you know, to see that, you know, for me coming out here, you know, being by myself and, um, you know, I'm a real mama's boy, so it was a, it was a big jump for me. But seeing that type of drive and uh, understanding what it really took to accomplish the things you want to accomplish and do the things that you want to do really left uh, impact with me that I still drive for. You know, I, I admire that you made that move. That's a big swing. You came out to California. You came out to Stanford. Like you said, you didn't really know anybody. You came out by yourself. <laughs> what What's that environment like? Because Stanford's like this magical place. It's an amazing place, a great academic institution. What's the vibe like on campus, and what's the experience been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's really just a just a chill type place, to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's um like you you just sit back and you realize sometimes that you know how you know, blessed you are just to be here. You know, there's people here doing so many amazing things and you have uh, the Olympians just casually walking around and, um, you know, people doing startups here and there and everybody just is friendly with everybody and everybody is just, you know, normal with everybody. I guess that's that's just a big thing is uh, just everybody around you is really driven to do amazing things. And, and when you get an entire campus like that, obviously it creates a, uh, you know, a different atmosphere, a different mentality. And, um, you know, we all try to uphold that Stanford standard. All right, so now you've got Cal this weekend, and there are a lot of tremendous rivalries in college football. I think the fans know this is one of the great rivalries in college football. But even saying that, Bryce, I think it's underrated. I don't think that it gets nearly the credit <laughs> or respect that it deserves in terms of ferocity. It is a fierce, fierce rivalry. What's yeah, it like yeah. to play in it? Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, you know, it's just really fierce. Uh, you know, we're we're definitely familiar with each other. And, you know, <clears throat> being a part of this program, you know, you definitely hear the history of the game. I'm sure you hear it over there as well. And you hear uh, students on campus. You got the Hoover Tower with the red light on it. I mean, the fountains uh, painted. You got the Beat Cow sign everywhere. And, um, you know, it, it's just an amazing atmosphere. And, you know, it's, it really just motivates you to go out and uh, compete. And you know you're going to get their best every 
every time you go out there, and that's the big great thing about it. Bryce, you're amongst the best and the brightest in the classroom. I'm curious, what are you studying and beyond football, ultimately, life beyond football, when you get there, what do you want to do? Do you know yet? Yeah, well, my ultimate goal is to um, do pediatrics or work in pediatrics. Um, right now, my major is human biology, and you know, they, in my mind, you know, I'm gonna be pre-med until I'm until I'm not. So I still have a long way to go, but that's that's ultimately the goal. It's a great way to look at it. All right, one last <laughs> thought. Your name is coming up as one of the leading candidates for the Heisman. I know you're all about the team. You've made that really clear the last five or ten minutes. But for just a moment, how does it feel to have your name linked with the Heisman? Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's a blessing. You know, um, it really you know puts puts things in perspective, and it's humbling just to even be mentioned, be enough for the award. You know, I remember so many days, so many years, just sitting there watching and um, not even knowing that it's a real thing. You know, just dreaming about it, just being a kid in Wake Forest, North Carolina, um, and it's amazing. Like like I like I always say, you know, it's a testament to my teammates. I look at it as a team award, and you know, if I could break off little pieces and uh, spread it around, you know, I, I definitely would because, um, you know, everybody around me deserves that same, you know, that same type of focus and concentration. And, um, you know, I, I'm just thankful to be out here. And But at the same time, you know, I, I know we still got some some odd weeks in the season, and, um, you know, we're just concentrating on going one week at a time, though, as well. You bet. One last thought, because you mentioned North Carolina. Speaking of your time back then, I had – Naheem Hines on the show from NC State earlier this year. I know the two of you go way back. When did you first meet him, and what's that relationship like? Dang. Uh, we we probably met when we were – I can't even put an age on it. I just know it was a long, long, long time ago. I mean, we were, we were kids just out there playing around, running track. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, so many people – me or just me, like you said, Naheem, Marcus Marshall, Keith Marshall, my brother, uh, Chris Love, you know, we grew up together and, um, you know, we all had the same dreams and we all wanted to do so many of the same things. And just to go out and see, uh, you know, us and see Naheem doing amazing things and seeing Marcus and Keith doing amazing things and my brother, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just really special. And, you know, not knowing that it was feasible back then, but seeing us all accomplish it now, you know, it, it, it's truly amazing. I would imagine, too, it, the best part is it's all good. It's all respect. It's all love, right? I mean, you're yeah. all coming from the right place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. We're about to lay down another episode of the Jim Rome Podcast. I'm going to sit down with Icarus filmmaker Brian Fogle in a few moments. You're going to want to make sure you hear that conversation Trust the podcast. I'm out. You ever hear something and know the world will never be the same? Houston, we have liftoff. Well, wait until you hear this one. Half price coffee. That's right. Get into McDonald's weekdays before 1030 a.m. for any size premium roast coffee or iced coffee. Both made with 100% Arabica beans, both half the price. Good is brewing. And that's the sound of your morning changing. Limited time only. May not be combined with any offer or combo meal at participating McDonald's.